Every endurance sport racing season has a trajectory of peak performance. How long that peak lasts or how you approach that peak or how long you want it to keep going largely affects the way you approach the training towards that season. For world-class skiers and biathletes, this time of year, the World Cup period one, is a critical time of year in shaping that fitness, which makes it a very interesting time to analyze what just happened. When we talk about Crystal Globe strategies, we have to be clear that this is for the few, the proud, the very best in the sport. Most other mere mortals have to try to make their national squads, then try to stay on them as the season unfolds. But the best have different outlooks than the rest of us. I remember discussing this with friend and German biathlon star Sven Fischer back in my era in the 1990s. In non-Olympic seasons, Sven always trained to be the best for the shoulders of the season, to win as many World Cups as possible in December and in March. He felt he could hit the season sharper than the other stars who were trying to shoot for the World Championships or a major event and get a bunch of wins in December, then retain a base training method through January and February, maybe give up some great performances as others in the field tapered and sharpened for the World Championships, and then pounce again in March and win as much as possible then, giving him the possibility to win the overall World Cup while everybody else focused on the World Championships in February. While his down times were still better than most athletes on the circuit, he still managed to win the overall World Cup title in 1997 and in 1999, right at the height of Oleander Bjorn and Rafael Poirier's annual duels for the Crystal Globe. A pretty tough time to win. And I think that's often overlooked in Sven Fischer's accomplishments. The trade-off for him was a relatively meager Hall of World Championships medals compared to his want of that Crystal Globe, except in 1999. When cold weather in Contiolati Filin at the World Championships in February actually postponed some of those races to be held in the spring in March as World Championship events in Oslo. And that was when Fisher hit his second peak of the season that year. That adjustment rendered his only personal non-relay World Championship titles of his entire career, which also was the year he won his second Crystal Globe. This anecdote has a point. Period 1 of November and December is many things to many different people at the World Cup level. For Jesse Diggins and Jason Cork, the strategy has always been to train into top form over the course of December in period one, so that she can hit her best fitness starting with a tour de ski as it punches into overdrive. Knowing this about Jesse colors the results of December differently if you know and understand such a strategy. Meanwhile, period one has turned out in the modern era to have huge implications across a country like Norway, undeniably the strongest nation at Nordic ski sports. Today, we see in Norway in November and December that if allowed unlimited entries to the World Cups at that time of year, could possibly shut the rest of the world out of the top 10, maybe even deeper, at least in men's cross-country skiing. If you want to wear the Norwegian colors the rest of the season, you must be flying by the end of November. And even then, it might not be enough. But by March, while still strong and deep, Norwegian skiers don't dominate quite as deeply as they do by comparison to November and December. But period one is an exciting time no matter what. It's hard to pace yourself for that excitement. And it's one-third of the total World Cup score, so it does matter. It's a fascinating time of year with lots of hidden caveats and asterisks if you don't have the inside scoop. So, to recap and analyze briefly what the 2022-23 season has shaped into so far for cross-country and biathlon on the World Cup, we bring in some inside scoopers to discuss what went down. Kristen Bourne is the newest coach on the U.S. ski team, fresh off of her first period one as a full-time coach on the U.S. ski team, and uniquely joined me in my office at the College of St. Scholastica, where she assisted the team last year and plugs away today at her master's degree in exercise science. For the biathlon scoop, we talk with 
U.S. Biathlon head coach Armin Alcantaler from his home in northern Italy. This episode of Threshold is brought to you by Solomon. Solomon has committed to a responsible tomorrow by refocusing the entire company and its operations to create responsible products with a smaller footprint on the environment. Solomon's goal is to drive change within our communities by creating more inclusive outdoor experiences. At the same time, they are committed to conducting their business responsibly while delivering high-performing products with the most innovative designs. You can enjoy winter knowing that Solomon is taking steps to preserve that winter for you to enjoy. When we all act responsibly, tomorrow is yours. Check out Solomon's full line of skis, boots, clothing, and accessories at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. Solomon, tomorrow is yours. Cool. So welcome, Kristen, to Threshold. Glad to have you on. Thank you. I'm very right. excited. This is really cool. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say we're sitting in my office at the College of San Scholastica, and I've got one of the US ski team coaches right off the World Cup from period one sitting in my office because you go to school here. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I just wrapped up a final like five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, and, and it wasn't an easy one. Tell me how tell, tell them how long it was. Oh, no, it was a four-hour long final. It was 50 questions and all long answer, and it really um, really did me in, but I'm done with it. So. Okay, so, so that begs a question. So I'm, I, we're going to talk a little bit about... Um, the, the, the job you just started basically this year, you're the you're one of the U.S. Ski Team coaches. What's your actual title with the U.S. Ski Team? Yeah, my official title is the D-Team coach. So okay. U.S. Ski Team D-Team coach. Yeah, development team. Is yes. D. Yeah, so, yep. okay. Cool. And um, this was not your first World Cup trip, but it was your first trip as actual U.S. Ski Team staff. So you went through pro, uh, period one. We were basically recapping period one. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But let me know, how did you study for today's test in, in that environment? I mean, it's a pretty intense environment. I know I've seen it. Yeah. Um, I To be honest, there wasn't a ton of studying. I tried yeah. in the times that I had, but that wasn't a ton. Like, usually earlier earlier in the week, yeah. it's a little bit easier. But as racing gets closer, we're right. racing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. And then pre-race is Thursday, which is a full-day thing, prepping right. for everything for the next day. Right. Um, so it just ramps up as the week goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, it's pretty much travel days and then yeah. maybe Tuesday. But it's super yeah. easy to fill it with a whole bunch of other things, just spending time with athletes, right. with staff. So um, I've, I've found ways, but not many. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, Wrapping up your first World Cup period one trip as a staff member, tell me what. Let's just go to the really simple thing. What's what surprised you about the job the last month? In oh. basically, you were in Finland, Norway, and in Davos, Switzerland. Yeah. So, I think it's hard to say. If anything, it just it was pretty seamless going mm-hmm. from. The trip that I had with them last year. Yeah. I learned, I had this two-week trip. I got just well-versed in everything kind of process U.S. ski team on mm-hmm. the road, on the World Cup. And so then coming back, it was a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty easy to just hop right back in. Right. Um, if anything, I'm just always surprised every time I go over there, just and I shouldn't be surprised. I guess I wasn't really surprised. Just the team is so awesome. Yeah. And it's such a well-oiled machine. Right. So I guess now it's like, okay, now I'm coming in full-time. Where can I contribute to this already well-oiled sure. machine and make it even better? Right. Um, so it, if anything, it just kind of felt comfortable, actually. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah. So you fit right in. Yeah. Cool. So um, you work with athletes over the summer and fall to prep them. How many of those athletes were on this particular trip, the ones that you've worked with in the offseason? Yeah, so none of them, actually. Okay. There were there are no D-team athletes. Of course, we, we want to have more, and I mm-hmm. definitely hope there's going to be more D-team athletes, but it's just a matter of, you know, qualifying and, and – Uh, for period one, what was happening at the end of last season. So no D-team athletes on the first period yet. Right, right. So um, is it pretty common common practice for the ski team to just take all hands on deck and go to that first period one World Cup and get all the staff there just because they need you? Yeah, it's. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be on the World Cup all season. I okay. think the only races I missed, so I missed Davos, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to miss um, Falun later in the season. Okay, so you weren't in Davos at all. I was not. No, I oh, came yeah. home. I came home a week early. Matt and I had that week off. Yeah. Um, and then we head right back for the tour to ski. Well, that was helpful for your school then. Yes. So a little bit of studying. You no, know, yeah. it worked out. Finals. Yeah. How yeah. nice! I get yeah. to be back for that. <laughs> cool. Well, it was an exciting period one for um, for U.S. skiing. Uh, there's there's no two ways about it. And um, you know, I'm, I, I preface this this podcast talking a little bit about the trajectory and the shape of the World Cup season and how athletes and coaches kind of prepare for what their focus is that season. Um, we know Jesse, I mean, Jesse obviously steals a lot of the headlines. Rosie Brennan, you know, clearly had some sickness and stuff like that. So just kind of recap a little bit about how, let's talk a little bit about how the first couple few weekends, the first three weekends, how they, how they kind of felt to you as a coach and how the team performed. Yeah, I felt like each weekend we were picking up momentum. So, right. like, historically, Ruka is not our strongest weekend. Right. I mean, as as a team, we're, we're coming in and we haven't done any right. racing yet. Many of those national teams that are there have done right. races to qualify. So the athletes are firing pretty well at that point. Yeah, which I should point out, just interject, I should point out, it's a pretty gutsy thing to do. You have to have a lot of confidence in your program if you're going to go to that first World Cup. You have to know the athletes are going to handle that psychologically pretty well. Did, did that seem to be the case? Yeah, I think everyone everyone knows and expects it. We do go out there a little bit earlier just so that people can get more time on snow. Right. Many of the athletes, they haven't been on snow that long, right. plus or minus some from Alaska. Right. But um, it... We, we give them a little bit more time to adjust, and more so for the time um, the time adjustment. Um, but I, I think I think everybody just they know they know how this works and they would rather do it that way than go out a week and a half, two weeks earlier right. to get racing in. Right. The season's already so long. Right. And so to extend it even more, take people away from their family and, right. and be on the road and in a hotel room, it just it's not as, I don't yeah. think, as conducive to athlete happiness. So. Right. So what was the most exciting thing about, what's the most exciting thing right now in, in this first few months of the season as a full-time staff? What's the most exciting thing about your job? Oh, that's a really hard question. I think it's just seeing seeing momentum and, like, those pop-off performances from athletes. And mm-hmm. I say that, like, looking at this past period, one of my absolute favorite moments was the performance that Hunter Wonders had in yeah. Hummer. Mm-hmm. That was so cool. Like right. his his distance races have been, you know, around roughly 30th. Right. And then all of a sudden he just yeah. has this stellar 16th place. And right. that's in a field where Norway had more right. Norwegian more, athletes. Right. I mean, it was a super super competitive right. field. Right. Let's let's, say, let's 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 stack that. Let's explain that a little bit. So when you have these races in Norway in this time first of all, Norway is gonzo nuts in November because if you want to be anywhere, and I preface this in the in the podcast as well, 
But if you want to be anywhere as a Norwegian, you have to be ready to rock. You have to be flying in November and December to make a team. And then when you have two back-to-back weekends in Norway, Norwegians get more starts. It's not uncommon to say that you could probably go from the World Cup and get a 15th place and then go to the Norwegian Cup and get 20th at that time of year because there's just that many Norwegians who packed that in there. So for Hunter Warners to be 16th in that World Cup, that was a big deal, wasn't it? It was huge. And he was showing in in a lot of his other distance races, his early splits were pretty fast. Asked, right. like whether that was like the tactic he was going for, right. I'm not sure, but it was definitely showing right. like he he's ready to just like fire and right. get it going. And then all of a sudden he had that 10k and he just wasn't right. losing time. He yeah. was just continuing to push. So it, that was super exciting. Um, and, and the 10k distance is actually probably really good for doing that. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things with the new the new distance is 10 and 20k. Men never really used to race 10k much at all, just in the relays. And for a guy like Hunter, who's a little bit still on the younger side, 24, go, to go out there, like you're not going to make a, a, a fast start stick in a 20k this time of year. But a 10k suddenly gives you that opportunity to give you that 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 little bit of confidence, didn't totally. it? Totally. Yeah. And I think these 10ks. For, for the men, they've been so excited. They are. It's incredibly totally. tight. Like, totally. when we're out there giving splits, it's like, hey, Gus, you have right. five people within two seconds. Right. Like, the, it, it's so incredibly tight, which makes it really, really exciting. Right. I think one of the greatest things, so my, this is my period one observation from the, the new fist stylings of the equal distances. I think the men's 10Ks are a surprisingly more exciting event than we expected. And I actually think the women's 20K is surprisingly more expected, more exciting than we expected because of the way they have to pace a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. They've been awesome. Yeah. It's like, and they've been just as tight as if it would have been a 10K. Totally. Like, there's nothing different. Right. And I, I agree with you. I think yeah. that men's 10K and the women's 20K, it's been an incredibly exciting distance yeah. race season so far. Yeah, you take Yohog out of that too. Yeah. And all of a sudden you have a 20K where I was watching that Ruka race and it's like, wow, this is a really interesting dynamic because nobody's really throwing it out there in the first eight, nine K. Mm-hmm. And then you get past 10 K and it starts to, it starts to become a race. And I think that that, that, that endurance factor just changes everything. Yeah. It's cool. been super awesome. What's the most unexpected thing you've seen this, this month? Most unexpected. Ooh. Um, oh, that's a hard question. Yeah, well, you know, what weren't you maybe ready for that that you... Um, I think, I guess the one thing is just how to, kind of circling back a little bit, it's just like how to establish time for yourself. Right. I think everyone talks about it a little bit, right. but, and coming from previous coaching jobs too, it is hard to find that time, but then all of a sudden sure. you're in it 24-7. Right. And trying to... It's not college skiing. It's not college. No. You don't You don't have the summer off. No. Like, you're just in it all the yeah. time, and on the road... It becomes a little bit more difficult, yeah. but it's also incredibly enjoyable. Like it you want to be part of everything yeah. too. Yeah. So it's like this. And you're in beautiful places, exotic. And in, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good problem to have, yeah. but I just I haven't quite figured that out yet. Yeah, it's a long, fast burn. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it never settles down. And, and I was, I mean, Matt Whitcomb, the head coach, is a good college friend of mine, and I just kind of wonder how he how he manages it still because I just don't think I'd have the energy for it. Oh man, he's just he's so perfect for the role that he's in, and yeah. he's very fun to work with. Good. I've asked him that same question before, and he's like, "Ooh, like let me know when you figure <laughs> that out." <laughs> okay, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about what we saw. Um, Let's start with with U.S. team. So Jesse, we always know, doesn't come in very hot. Um, she's not usually ready for Ruka. She maybe has a good race or two in Lillehammer. Usually starts to 
show some signs of fitness, but not really in re- recent years in Davos. And here she went one, two in Davos this last weekend. Um, so what does that tell you? What do you think as, as part of the staff and, and talking kind of behind the scenes? I mean, you have to let out any, any secrets, but what do you think of those results considering what Jesse's normal trajectory is in this season? Is, is, is this a sign that she's the best skier in the world right now? I mean, I... I think Jesse absolutely is is one of the best skiers in the world, and it it is a testament to what she's doing now. is a right. testament to just how incredibly hard she works and how hard she can push herself. Right. She has that just incredible yeah. ability to do that. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it's interesting. Like maybe it's I don't know if there's something that her and Jason did a little bit differently with training, but mm-hmm. something different is happening this year. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily like a incredibly like a bad sign. No, I don't no. think it's a good sign. No. I think that they're, they're trying something different and, um, you know, first year after the Olympics. Yeah. So I, I think if anything, it's exciting and, and right. I'm sure like we're going to see some really, really awesome perfor- yeah. performances from her in the near future. Yeah, I mean, she's not young anymore. She, I mean, she's not old, I mean, but she's 31. I mean, she's, like, legit. She has the base now, don't you think? I mean, like, she might as well light it up in Davos. I don't think she's got to be worried about it. And, and, you know, coming off of her Olympic performances, she's got these two medals. Mm-hmm. She basically got one of each color now. Like, what is left to worry about or be concerned about? I mean, you might as well go for it, at least at the, by the end of tip period one. That's at least my, my sense. Is that? Do you think that they're kind of feeling that way? Um, I think that Jesse... Jesse just Jesse wants to win. Yeah. Like that's always the goal. And yeah. and that's what she's striving for. Like yeah, she has a medal in every single color. Yeah. And that's pretty incredible. There's not right. a whole lot of people who can say that. So right. she's just she loves racing. She yeah. loves pushing herself to the absolute limit and she's going to win and and that's that yeah. is the goal. So. so what's it like for you to step in now as a full-time staff and have the kind of team so we talked about Jesse but but Rosie coming off of sickness, she had a pretty rough, she had a pretty rough health month, but still fin- polishes it off with a second, with a thir- with a podium finish in, in the in a Davos twenty k, which is like pretty solid, pretty solid start coming. Because I don't think most people realize how hard it is to compete at that level, even coming off just a little bit of a sickness. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you think what do you think contributed to the success this weekend for for Rosie? I think. I think Rosie is really hungry. Like yeah. these these results that she's had so far, they have been great, and she's right. having a, having a great start to the season. Huh. But but Rosie, she has this. You could see this fire mm-hmm. in her, and it's burning. And mm-hmm. it's like getting this third place was amazing and exactly like that's right. a fantastic way to cap off this period. But mm-hmm. she is she is looking for more, for sure. and and you can see that. I think the sickness was a little bit of. A little bit of a bummer, and then having um, Lillehammer taking it a little bit easier there right. too, just to make sure that we're not burning all right. the all the matches right away. So to come back two weeks after that and then be right on the podium yeah. is a is a really really good sign. Yeah. So how do you feel like as a coach when you're out there, you see the success of the U.S. women's teams, particularly they got Rosie and Jesse now, and you know a lot of retirements in the last few years, but now you see now you've got Sophia Lockley, you've got. You got uh, Novi McCabe. You got Elena Sonnison on the trip. Lauren Jortberg. How did those, from your perspective, how does that success um, affect those those maybe less experienced and, and in some cases younger athletes? I think it's obviously really inspiring. For sure, they see that they get to train with these women every single day. They're right. out on the out on the World Cup training and doing very similar things 
I think it tells everyone and tells them in particular that they can do it yeah. and that um, they are certainly closing the gap mm-hmm. to up to Jesse and Rosie. For sure. And you see Sophia in this last race, I believe she was 17th yeah. or in, in the teens. Like yeah. She's had a pretty, very steady trajectory um, over the last couple of weeks. Elena has been pretty similar. Like mm-hmm. She's just been right on the bubble of getting top 30, and mm-hmm. then she got in top 30 both races this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Novi's been... Uh, unfortunately battling a little bit of on and off sickness, Mm -hmm. but she's able to come back in between all of that and she's Mm -hmm. busting into top 30. So all of a sudden we're, our, our group of women, it's becoming quite deep. Right, We're able right. to get several women into the top thirty every yeah. single weekend. Yeah, it's amazing. That's so exciting. So, we, we can't we can't say yeah. that 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 was the case, right. you know, however many years ago. So, right. if anything, I think the momentum and the traje- trajectory that everyone right. is on is like is quite good right now. And Julia's Julia's had some great sprint performances. She's also had she some has. pretty good distance performances. She has, she? Yeah. How is she feeling about her distance skiing? I mean, she's got to be a little bit psyched about the, the results she's posted. She's she is she is. Super excited about her sprinting. Um, mm-hmm. She certainly, like, really wants to break into a final. She's been so mm-hmm. close. But right. she's a consistent every single weekend right. semifinal skier. Right. That is that is huge. Right. And it's only a matter of time until she breaks into the final. Yeah. Um, and she's had some really good moments of right. showing that she's, she's ready to do that. Yeah. Her distance skiing, she definitely wants a little bit more from. She had mm-hmm. a couple good distance races, but... I think she's looking to uh, to the tour to yeah. kind of get. It's a more distance heavy tour, so sure. she's looking to that to get a little bit yeah. more under her belt. She likes to ski a little bit more into her yeah. into her race shape. So um, yeah, she kind of needs to. I think she needs to. Just watching her career, I think that mm-hmm. if she comes in maybe a little too hot, she doesn't have anything later. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I in the back of my mind, um, I remember calling her first World Cup podium in Planitza and yeah. the World Championships are in Planitza. That is probably a a perfect sprint course for her yeah so I'm, I'm assuming that that's probably a goal for her yeah absolutely yeah. she she has some some big goals with um just overall sprint rankings and then mm. also just sprint sprints every week and on the world cup and particularly in Planitza. so yeah um yeah it's been really really exciting to to work with her and and she's got great energy it's been, it's been yeah. really fun yeah great I think one of the most exciting things of period one for Team USA was Ben Ogden. I mean, oh, yeah. just like so. Um, what do you think? I mean, you spend some time around Ben. He's he's a very unique guy. He's got a great personality, but he's he's not your not your typical guy. Yeah. So what about this period? Why, why do you think he's been able to do what he's done this period? I think it's a matter of experience Mm -hmm. he had a lot over the last year with Mm -hmm. the olympics and everything Mm -hmm. i think i think he's finding some happiness and i I can't speak for him exactly but finding the finding that happiness over there on the world cup and and being there it's actually pretty impressive too because he's a a master's student at uvm he's taking a ton of really really hard classes that are also quite stressful and he's performing at an incredibly high level incredibly high um he just oozes this confidence and and he doesn't get really freaked out about things like he just has kind of cool calm and collected and 
rocks his mustache and goes <laughs> in and yeah. skis like a madman. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, he's he's shown some like crazy fire energy this yeah. year, and, and people are certainly noticing. Yeah. Like, other coaches from yeah. other nations, people are really excited about Ben Ogden right now. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, just listen to the Devin Kershaw show. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Devin loves him. I, I love him too. I mean, I, Ben Ben has been here for uh, for U sixteen camp. I remember mm-hmm. he was he's a um, he's definitely a spitfire. And, and I think it, like if I'm looking at the young guys, I mean, Hunter Wonders had a breakout race, like you said, in in that was Lillehammer. Yeah, yeah, and then. Uh, but Gus has been kind of slow to get going, but he looked pretty good in Davos this weekend. Yeah. Just just yesterday, man, he skied a pretty solid twenty k individual start. Didn't yeah, you think? yeah, right. His his he was hoping this season, having talked to him a little bit in Little Hummer, is that he he didn't want to be like totally on fire, ready right. to go in this first period. He wanted to try and work into the season a little yeah. bit more, and and he that is what he's doing, and he totally. has had a couple. Um, pretty awesome results he had hmm. this past weekend in Davos and then in Lillehammer in the mass start I believe right. he was 17th or 18th right, 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 in that right, mass start yeah. um, and was skiing awesome so yeah. he's it, it's coming it's there he's, yeah he's, you can he's see it. it yeah you can see it I mean I think the other thing that's probably motivating is, is those 20 those 2,000 birth year guys there's a bunch of guys in the world that that they have knocked heads with since juniors and now they're having success the guy who won in Lillehammer and the young guy Anderson and then, uh, um, you know, that was a big surprise win there. And then uh, William Porrema was having, you know, pretty solid start to the year. Friedrich Moch, who was one of the guys that he always knocked heads with in the 10K Classic at Junior Worlds. Right. And it's got to be hugely motivating, but nothing would be more motivating than maybe take those guys to the World Championships. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I think they, they're pretty excited about all of that. Yeah. So we've covered Team USA. Is there anything that we didn't cover about Team USA in, in the last three weeks that you've been there that, 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 we ha- that, you, that you think we should talk about? Um... No, I don't think so. I think there's just really good momentum happening right now, yeah. and people are excited. Tour de ski's yeah. coming up in a few weeks here, and yeah. that's going to be super fun. And <laughs> You've never done it? You've, you haven't been staff on the Tour de Ski I yet. have not been on the Tour de Ski, and what's awesome oh. is we have this Trail to Gold Fellowship, yeah. and Liz Steven is going to be joining us on staff Lucky you. Give for, for, for me. the Tour de Ski. It's like, pick a more perfect person. Oh, she's awesome. So we're like, hey, why don't we throw her into the, the final climb? She, she, she yeah. should hop into that. <laughs> One of my all-time favorite people. I used Still haven't gotten her on this podcast, but we, we have to do that. So, <laughs> cool. Um, so we talked about Team USA. I want to just talk about a little bit about the, the the playing field. And I mean, I think the the three the three things that stick out to me. We're going to talk about Tour de Ski to wrap things up and, and World Championships. But I think for me, the impressions that I made, and, and let me know if if anything you saw that I'm not talking. I think big surprise for me was how well Norway women did against Swedish women. Yeah. Uh, I think Tyrell Udvinas Veng is for real. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I was thinking, ah, she's she's a Ruka star. She'll do great in Ruka, well, and then we'll see somebody else take over. She's still in the gold. Still in the other bib. Four race weekends in, um, and then I think like you know, I I don't think the Swedes dominated like we I would have expected them to. I think the Norwegian women did a little bit better compared to the Swedes. What are your impressions about that matchup? Yeah, I think I I would agree with that. I think. Right now, at least at the end of this period, is that like the Swedish women are having a, there's a ton of sickness going right. on right now, right. and so an injury. There, there wasn't there weren't many um, racing here in Davos, but mm-hmm. um, it's been really exciting. Yeah. It's been really close, and mm-hmm. you know, of course you have Frida and you have Eva mm-hmm. that have taken off in a couple of the 
the distance races, but yeah, yeah. Tyrrell has been certainly holding her ground. She's been super consistent. She's on the mm-hmm. podium weekend after weekend. So yeah. I think I think it is pretty exciting. And yeah. now with also the new point system for sure that we have, um, I do think that the overall at the very end of the season it's going to be tight. Way tight. Close. Yeah, I think bi- biathlon went more towards cross-country with their scoring, and I think that's a good thing. I think mm-hmm. it needed to happen. When there's only four points difference between first and fourth, mm-hmm. or first and third, or first and second, four points and then three points, and then, I mean, you're not getting enough of a bonus for winning in biathlon. Now they've made it way more like cross-country skiing used to be, mm-hmm. where it's like 15, 20 points. But cross-country but cross country went, and they, they made it more like old biathlon. They tightened it up a little bit, and I think that... I think that'll probably encourage people to stay on the World Cup a little bit, don't you think? Yeah, I I hope so. Right. I think overall, just the race formats and now with the points, everything is going to be a little bit more tight, and it has been so far. Right. And I do think that that's really good for our sport. Just make it a little bit more exciting. Yeah. Over time, it you know maybe gets a little bit stale and kind of refreshing it up a little bit. Well, I know from my from my sources that biathlon made the choice. To go to a bigger spread at the front to 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 foster that ability to take a day off mm-hmm. for the for the cha- for the leaders for the for the big stars and I think that's actually good because but that's also a t- that's a double edged sword because then they're not on TV and people don't watch <laughs> so but I think cross country actually they're going to make it a little bit more exciting and it's going to be harder to win if you don't race more often right yeah. and you know that everyone at some point is probably going to get sick people are going to yeah. take races off we saw. Um, this past period, it was a little bit different. There was that uh, team sprint, and so several right. people took that off because it also didn't contribute towards World, World Cup points. Right. But at some point with an intense schedule like that, something has to give. There's no For one sure. that's going to be able yeah. to, to sustain doing every single race all yeah. season and not get sick at some point or yeah. feel the fatigue. So. Um, I think it. I think it does even out that playing field a little bit, and for really sure. exciting for sure. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting watching the two sports because I, I I follow both sports very closely, and biathlon has the three week blocks with the, like two to three week breaks, and cross country skiing has more. They don't have as many three race, four race weekends. They usually they until this year they've right. usually had two race weekends, and they and they have them every weekend, and then you have to just choose when you're going to take your breaks. So we've seen more racing for cross-country skiing in December than any season in the past because most of the weekends had three races. The only re- race weekend, the first four weekends that had two races was Davos. Right. Whereas it only used to be may- for sure Ruka and maybe Lillehammer, but not even Lillehammer every year. Right. So how do you think that as a staff person watching that, that wear and tear on the field, what do you think that ch- how do you think that changes affecting athletes? Yeah, it's... It's interesting looking at some of their training. So recently I started working a little bit more with Julia and looking mm-hmm. at where are the opportunities in there for athletes to train. Right. Like we are in December. Right. They have to make it all the way through the <laughs> end of March. And right. if they're racing triples back yeah. to back to back to back, you have yeah. what? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then sure. Thursday through Sunday is all hard intensity. Yeah. So I, I think who who can figure out how to Get a little bit of training in there, right. be a little bit more strategic. Also, get recovery in. Recovery is exactly. so important. So, yeah. um, that's been an interesting journey trying to figure that out recently. Yeah. Having this break with Christmas, it makes it a little bit easier. For but, sure. but later in the season, I think if it were any longer than what it yeah. was, it would have been, it would be pretty difficult for anyone to make it all the way through that. Yeah, especially coming off tour to ski. So, oh, yeah. You know, so what is what is the team's plan off a of tour to ski? Are, are they going to the next World Cups after that, or is there going to be a break for most people? Will there, they... there will be a break. There's okay. A group of them will go to Seyfeld and have yeah. a 
just kind of recovery camp before heading over to to um, Livigno. Will some of the people not on the World Cup get a chance at those World Cups for Team USA? Will they, will they send some people over? Maybe if you know some of the Tour de Ski people aren't racing those World Cups right after Tour de Ski, will, the, will some of the people get on the World Cup for that? Yeah, it depends. Uh, we have our, our working group, and then we, we decide who's going to be a, getting start spots so okay. and, and so it just depends on who who accepts okay. and who doesn't yeah okay. um let's talk a little bit about um about sweden they've had some trouble um the, uh, i was kind of expecting frida and ebba to be a little bit more of a force at the front of the field and they i mean they want you know frida won in, in the hammer of course it's not not that not like they they failed right were you expecting more from sweden this at this point in the year um Maybe maybe a little bit more, yeah. but also I think at this point too, it's so early in the season. Right. I I'm in, I'm gonna expect something a little bit different as we get further into the season. Mm-hmm. But also I expect our team is gonna be right up there with them. So <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I, I guess it's just kind of it, it's just been I think a little bit different for everyone yeah. with the new formats. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of like uncertainty of who's right. going to be doing what, and so yeah, I guess I didn't really have an expectation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, it's not your job to like f- to survey the entire World Cup field. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, that. I, I have to remember that. I'm kind of looking at it from a commentator and journalistic standpoint. Mm-hmm. You're you're in the wax truck and you're out skiing, so you may not have these. You may not even be mulling these things over. I just, but but it is fun to get your perspective on things. Totally. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the men. I think I think it has to be said that Norwegian men without Russia there, it's crazy. Like, yeah. There's so, but we did have a we did have a glimmer of hope, and it's, it's Klaubel coming off sickness and he gets beat by Pellegrino. In, that was so yeah. cool. <laughs> I, know, I, I know. I was kind of jumping up and down. I was doing a jiggy. In, in, in it's the really of... hard to not want to cry when Pellegrino right. is crying. I know. I know. And, and it's nothing against against Johannes Klabo. No. Uh, I think that, um, but I think the, I don't know, I can't see anybody begrudging Pellegrino that win in Davos, his fourth win there. Um, but don't you think that gives a little bit of... It just gives a glimmer hope. But then the next day, the Norwegians actually slam the door and go... What do they go? Top six? Yeah, they did. <laughs> oh, know, my 20K. gosh. And I think... It, what yeah. was it? In maybe Lillehammer, it was the top Eight? 11. Yeah. Or there was one day where it was just like Andrew Musgrave yeah, yeah, was in right. there. And then it, it was, was like all 11, Norwegians, yeah. which basically you could count Andrew as Mus- a Norwegian, Norwegian at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but good for Muzzy. Let's, let's throw that one out there. Awesome for Muzzy. I He's know. been having a great first period, and yeah. that's really exciting. Yeah, he, he was rough yesterday. but um, Yes. Yeah, but other than that, I was kind of thinking, ooh, Muzzy might get a podium, and he was back in like the 40s. But, yeah. But yeah, that happened. But yeah, it's, it's great to see any – I mean, nothing, again, not nothing against Norway, but – the sport's going to be pretty boring if we don't have some people jumping in there. I I agree with that. I mean, sprinting the sprint team and the distance team, it it is a little bit different. Like I feel like mm-hmm. the distance men, it's yeah. been just like Norway, 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 yeah. Norway, and it hasn't been there hasn't been much diversity up in the, right. the top of the top ten. Um, sprinting has been still pretty exciting. Yeah, having Pellegrino out sprint Claybo right. is. Pretty Amazing. phenomenal. Pretty and I do think it has this glimmer of hope of, For sure. well, maybe it's not always going to be the same. Right. And it's right. not always a done deal. Yeah. He's also human. Totally. And is yeah. coming off of an injury and Pellegrino figured it out. He yeah. he outsprinted the guy. And, yeah. and that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, of course, it's 
awesome for Claybo, and he's winning yeah. all the time. He's truly a he's a good a, guy, a phenomenal skier. But yeah. it is good for the sport and for sure. fun to watch when you have people shaking it up like that. Yeah, so. yeah I thought that was I thought that was a that was a bright spot. So, um, just focusing the last team I want to focus on in both men's and women's is Germany. I mean. Like yeah. we kind of, we kind of knew last year at the, at the Olympics that after the Olympic results, but that but up until the Olympics, you know I know P- Peter Schlickenreader is the, the the director there, and I've known him for years, and and I've tried to get him on the show here, but he's just so busy. But um, they hired Per, per Nielsen this he year, did. which is um, interesting. Do you know Per at all? I've met him a couple yeah. times. I yeah. met him over the summer in Torsby, and mm-hmm. uh, we did some actually a technique. My very first technique analysis with the whole team. Yeah, we were watching video. And Frida and Maya came in. Oh, cool. And so did Pear. Nice. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is my first time doing this with a team. And yeah. I have some, like, Olympic <laughs> medalist in here. Yeah. I have this, like, incredible coach in yeah, here. Yeah. So yeah. it was scary for the first five minutes. And then yeah. they were awesome. They were, yeah. It was super fun. But I have met Pear a couple yeah. times. Well, Pear was a longtime U.S. biathlon coach. Right. A good, good, friend of, good friend of mine. And uh, he's been on the show before. We, we actually picked his brain. He, we had a back-to-back with him and Jason Cork mm-hmm. about, you know, co- he coached Frida. Jason coaches Jesse, but um, but I thought I, I I did try to get him on the podcast. It hasn't worked out because um, I just wanted to see how that was going. But it's clearly working. I mean, I think yes. the German, the German men and women, um, th- they're legit now, and, and I, I think that I think it, it's necessary. I mean, even if they're not beating Norway on the men's side, um, I just think the TV the TV market is oh, really important. It's been so exciting. I mean, Kat, uh, Katarina Henning right. is crushing it. Yeah. If that pole didn't break I know. in Wilhammer, watching her, she looked so strong. Yeah. I, sh- I definitely had my, not that I was actually betting, but I definitely <laughs> had my money on her. Yeah, I did too. I, I was, I, it was it was really hard because it was such a great race up to that point. Right. And it was unfolding in a way that that last climb in Lillehammer and Hennig just inexplicably, they were... Were, you know, Frida would go up and inject speed into the front of the field. It would break apart. They'd come back together. She'd do it again. They'd come back right. together. And Henning was the one that was always kind of uh, the, the person you could count on to bring them back together. Right. And she does have a good sprint, especially classic. And until I see that pole break, it was like I, I felt like all the pundits and, and everybody kind of knew, well, Frida might have been toast in that one if she'd gone head-to-head with Henning. She just looked so strong. Yeah. It was It was kind of in my head a done deal but yeah you know ski racing yeah um but yeah i think the the german team is super exciting yeah having them up there the women are crushing it victoria carl mm-hmm. there have been several sprinters as well right. um there's sophie Krell, if yeah. i'm saying her name Krell, right yeah. as well yep. she's been in there yeah. um and they've been very consistent right and and i don't think you can ever count them out like right. it, it they they are being they're up in the top 15 right. top 20 more consistent than ever. I'm right. also saying that, like, right. I don't have a lot to base that off of, but um, right. they've been awesome. And so, and then even on the men's side, like you said, yeah. Frederick Muck, like, all of a sudden, he's yeah. up there rivaling a lot of these Norwegian guys as yeah. well. And so, Lucas Berger had a pretty good race yesterday. He did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, overall, as a team, if you want to talk about momentum, like, that that team is, they're on fire right now. Totally. So, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and, and this is kind of ironic to say because when I was, you know, 20 plus years ago when I was competing, so Germany just distro- was dominating biathlon. Yeah. They were good cross country skiers. It, it, Tobias Unger, Axel Teichmann, uh, there was there were, there were a stretch of. And um, it, it's hard to believe, like, what I would have never believed back then that they would ever be, lack confidence as a, as a ski nation. And, and I think 
Biathlon and cross country, both the last few years, Germany has really lacked confidence. I feel like they're young athletes who have won junior world medals. Victoria Carl, you know, some of the, Friedrich Mölk, for example, you know, they, they weren't really performing at a very high level compared to where they were when they were 19. Right. And I feel like that's changing. I feel like that is a big change for Germany. That that's someone like Sophie Krail, who's not a junior world champion, but has is is late blooming. The difference of of being on a team where people are winning medals and people are fighting for a top ten, and then being that person, kind of behind them, like being a depth player on the U.S. ski team right now, having those people winning and believing you can win is is all the difference. Absolutely. After that Olympic medal from the team sprint. Yeah. It just it set a fire and yeah. they are they are rolling. It's yeah. pretty it's very cool, cool to watch and and nice to have another country up there that's yeah. not as much of that major powerhouse like Norway and Sweden. So yeah. 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 So let's go let's talk tour to ski real quick. We'll talk tour to ski and world championships and then we'll and then we'll call it good. Um so tour to ski, uh First of all, how psyched are you to be on the staff for that? It's going to be really exciting. It'll be hard and right. and exhausting, but it's one of those uh, one of the period that I'm over there that I'm the yeah. most excited for. Yeah. Just because there's it's just go 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 mm. race after race after race, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I think it'll be super cool and mm-hmm. and fun to just bounce around a couple countries in a couple right. days. <laughs> right. So who do you think's gonna who who do you have pegged to win the tour to ski? Jesse, mm-hmm. Jesse. Yeah. I I, I do too. She, I think she's gonna yeah. gonna do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it all comes down to the classic day before the. You know, it, it all depends on how she skis, what the time gaps are, and where she's situated going into El Chermis. Yeah. Mean, like, and but I think like, based on where she is now compared to last year, I think she's in a, she's a different skier. She's got a different level of confidence, and I think you know I think Frida's obviously it's it's the usual suspects. It's going to be Frida, and Ebba. And, um, you know, the spr- sprinters, not so much, but, um, I think you just look at like consistency, you know, distance, the right. overall skiers, distance right. to sprint. Uh, Jessie has, she's shown she's, yeah. she's been like this for a while. She's yeah. so consistent. Yeah. And so I, I think, I think Jessie is, is a major, major contender. And on the men's, I think it's a tougher one to call. Because Clavo's not a, Clavo's not a, an absolute favorite. Like he's like, he, he falters. I mean, Ooh, well, Paul Goldberg right. has been slaying. I know. So That's kind of what I'm thinking. I, I would probably put my money on him. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the biggest thing is uh, when a sprinter distance skier like Goldberg, he's older now, so he's probably got a little more stable base, but just watching long game, like when I see something like that having a really good December, I kind of worry about whether they'll still have it in period two and tour to ski. So that's my only asterisk on Paul Goldberg, but... I do. He's my choice too. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know that by the tour to ski that he'll, he'll blow up yet. I think he's got this, he's had an incredible first period and he's riding high confidence is high and he can go into this, into the tour to ski just ready to keep that going. I could see him losing it on El Chermis though. Possibly. <laughs> you never know. Anyone can lose it on that <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesse had a battle last year. I mean, she wasn't healthy, but yeah, I mean, she slayed it when she won it overall. Right. And then she the next the very next year, you're expecting her to slay it. And it was a little slightly under the weather, and, and you're off. That's, off a, that's a very, it's a very different beast. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk world championships before we let you go. Um, world championships is going back. It's not equal distance. It's the, it's, it's, the origi- it's the original world championship distances that we're used to. Think that's going to throw anybody off? 
I don't think so. No. I so far, at least the equal distance going to equal distance mm-hmm. doesn't seem to. Yeah. Initially, when people are talking about it, they're like, "Oh, I, this is going to be such a huge change," but. 15K to 20K is not that big of a difference. <laughs> Having five, men yeah. go to five or go to 10, it just, right. I, I think it'll be, it'll be okay. And, yeah. and maybe it's comfortable in some way, but yeah. I, I also, and maybe this is just my own thought, not actually doing the racing, but it's, it's a distance that, yeah. you know, 30K for women, men are doing 50K, but 30K, yeah. they've, they've done it before and sure. it'll be pretty easy to hop back yeah. to it. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, any any thoughts on on who who's who you think is going to be hot during the worlds? Huh. I always, of course, hope hope the team, the our current yeah. athletes. Um, yeah. But it's hard to say. Yeah. It just I ask me again uh, <laughs> at the end of period three, <laughs> then I'll give yeah. you my prediction. But yeah. it, it it's hard to it's hard to say right now. I I do think at least for sprinting, I'm. I am really excited for Julia. I think yeah. that it holds that particular location holds a lot of it's very special to her. For sure. And so to go back, I, I imagine she's gonna have a lot of really, really good energy yeah. and it'd be pretty psyched to to get back to that place. Yeah. So have you skied at Planita? I have not. This yeah, would be a either. first for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the courses that well there, so I was, I don't either. I know I know the sprint <laughs> course from T V and that's about it. And with the sprint course, I believe they added in a new hill oh, they did. at the end. Okay. But otherwise it's the same format so already, for the most part. It already had before. a pretty big hill at the end. Yes. I don't know, they made it bigger? <laughs> yeah, they added a, added something extra. Added a knob to it, okay. <laughs> Just that little extra so it goes to 11. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. I uh, have uh, not seen a course profile, but okay. that, that was the rumbling that cool. I heard most recently. Well, it's always a pleasure to see you and uh, and great to have you on, on. I'd like to have you on again and talk about you a little bit more sure. next time, but uh, this is great to, to be one-third way through the season and get a little bit of insight with you and your new job and and uh, and to do do a podcast this way we're actually sitting together and not on a screen totally right. and, and fun fact this is my first podcast i've never really done before okay no. cool well you do you were wonderful so <laughs> thank you well let, let, here's to many more yeah absolutely okay. sounds good Thanks, thank Marcus, you chad yeah solomon has been an outdoor industry leader for nearly 75 years and they see action as the way to continue to lead in the modern world that requires solomon to lead in sustainability As a company facing all the modern challenges to the natural environment in which we all play, Solomon has a renewed passion to act as a catalyst, connecting the innovative power of the people of Solomon, partners, innovators, designers, and athletes, to co-create the most responsibly performant products and businesses. Solomon is committed to transform people into agents of positive change, knowing when we help preserve the outdoor spaces that touch your soul, you can feel good about the products you use in the outdoors. You can find out more about Solomon's full lines of outdoor gear, clothing, and accessories, and discover their commitment to sustainability at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. Solomon, tomorrow is yours. Welcome to Threshold, Armin. Thank you, Chad. Good to, good to see your face after, uh, after it's been more than a year, I think, since I've seen you. Well, since pre-COVID, I think. So it's nice to see. Oh, no, I saw you last year in, in Rupolding. Uh, in Rupolding, and I think we saw us uh, also Antals. in Vukati at some point two years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, two years ago in Vukati. That's right. Yeah, when right. we were living there. 
Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, it's great to have you on. Yeah, just, just really quickly, uh, like I, I just want to say, I've been meaning to get you on this show to like kind of profile you and, and do a whole show just on you and your career. And I still want to do that, but I'm going to try to stay on task today because we're basically, we're, we're recapping uh, and kind of discussing with you the results of period one of biathlon. But, but, but just to get going, so our listeners kind of get to know who you are um, and why you're in Italy wearing a U.S. biathlon shirt right now, uh, just really quickly... How long have you been the US, with the U.S. Biathlon program, and, and what is your official title today? Uh, right now, I'm the head coach for men and women on the, mm-hmm. on the U.S. Biathlon team. Uh, last past uh, four years, I was the head coach for the women, and from 2009 to 2014, I did two Olympics with the U.S. Biathlon team as a shooting coach. So it's... Okay. Almost 10 years now that I'm with the yeah. team, with a short intermezzo in Switzerland. Yeah, you're, you're basically a, a fixture now in the U.S. biathlon team. You're, you're kind of the, the ground base. And I should say you're a longtime friend of both myself and my brother. My brother and you grew, grew, kind of grew up in your coaching careers together as juniors. So it's been a long time that I've known, at least of you and, and known you. So it's great to actually have you on here and talk to you a little bit about, about your biathlon experience. But the biggest thing I want to get into is, is just about period one. And it's always kind of a nervous time of the year for the athletes and staff um, because you, you're basically testing for the first time time all the work you've put in over the last summer and in the offseason against and now you're doing it against the best in the world so with the world championships in Oberhof a huge world championship venue in Germany uh, coming up in February how did you as the head coach kind of shape the training of the U.S. team for the whole winter and how did you approach period one in context to those overall goals for the season yeah we tried to actually had had some had a good start but uh, unfortunately we had couple of sicknesses on the team mm-hmm. um, like cough and then um, some some colds and mm-hmm. that hindered us actually to have a little better results we started off in uh, in Contiolati this season which mm-hmm. a couple of personal best for some athletes but we didn't yeah. have we didn't have the full squad on the start line uh, and with full energies so one of them was uh, uh, Jake Brown then we had yeah. Um, Maxine Germain um, we had also Sean just right before the, 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 the World Cup in Contirati a little bit with a cold but um, he got he got in sh- uh, back in time but all of that was a little bit difficult now here in the first part um, yeah, talk a little bit about well, that. Like, uh, you know, talk about, is, do, do you feel like sickness is a little bit on the rise compared to past years? Is, has the COVID pandemic kind of made people a little bit more, does it seem like the immunity is more of a problem than it was before COVID? I don't think so, actually. I don't think okay. so. It maybe it, it, w- it, it was a thing probably right after we took off the masks. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think um, we're back to pretty much to a normal normal um yeah normal normal environment and yeah. you still as an athlete you still have to pay attention on uh on uh, colds and stuff which goes around because yeah. especially in the winter time when you when you're going into shape uh, it's gonna be a little bit uh the body just immunity is a little um more affected or easier that you right. get sick than uh during other times of the year. 
Yeah, and and we saw that. We'll get into that a little bit when we talk <laughs> about Norway and the U and the Norwegian top women that that weren't here at all in period one. But um, just going back to a little bit about how you prepare your team, so you don't have to worry about anybody else. But the team that you've got, do you have a strategy? over the course of this season with the world championships in February, what did you want to get out of period one? How did you come into, how did you shape the form? Even if you took the sickness out of the, out of the equation and you just focus on what you as the head coach want to see happen in period one in a, in a season with the world championships in February, what does that look like? Like how is your strategy with the, with the training fitness? Are you trying to come in in December and be really fit and do the very best you can and do that all year? Or do you have a little bit of a little bit of a training philosophy that keeps training higher and lower at different times of the racing season? What we definitely try to do is to come in and uh, try to have a good results right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we partly achieved with some athletes' personal best um, mm-hmm. um, on the women's side, but also on the on the male side. Um, we always try to um, hit the first World Cups and try to get good results yeah. because it's uh, yeah. it gives us a lot of confidence. First right. of all, and um, people is calmer. The environment is calmer. You can just work a little mm-hmm. bit better than than if you would go into a season and not have any any result. Right. Um, basically, I believe also that when you get some good uh, good results right away, it's it's uh, better for the athletes. It's better for the environment mm-hmm. because you just the confidence is way way higher, and you can just right. work from there instead of like. Yeah catching up with with the shape right i mean i think about my generation i did biathlon in the 90s and i went to the world cup my first world cup was in Antolts when i was like 24 23 maybe um and i i think you're right about that i think that we were so far removed in my era 20 over 20 years ago from the world cup that we it felt very daunting like i think if i look back like my physical shape was probably not even that bad compared to the world cup as much as i thought it was i thought it was much worse Probably just because we weren't we weren't ready. Do you feel like I mean, is the United States biathlon team at a point where that's really not an issue anymore? That that type of mentality, or does that do you feel like that's something that you have to keep working on with the U.S. athletes coming over from U.S. and racing on continental Europe and having that confidence? Uh, not for the veterans. The veterans, I think, right. after four or five years, I think people gets gets used to you to to race Europeans. To race in Europe, uh, to face uh, big venues, to face big crowds, to face mm-hmm. uh, different mentalities, for especially for the rookies coming to to Europe and racing all season long for four months, three times a week. Hopefully, um, that's really really hard. Especially yeah. the, the the mental part. It's not just the physical part, but so also the mental part is like hitting them quite a bit and uh, uh, all the new um, how to say that um, new things they see they experience yeah they, they never had those in in the, um, in the environment in the US in the US just because yeah. we have we like on domestic races we don't have domestic races in in the US and yeah. we just have a couple 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 possibilities for them um to get them to IBU Cups. So right. mostly athletes who actually start in the World Cup, like Adidra two, three years ago, they are just impressed on how how much they actually face, how many impressions they get, uh, right. get about it. And that's tiring. So that's, yeah. why I, <laughs> yeah. that's why I think also it's good to hit the season right away. Like, yeah. um, 
without any great expectation, but try to be in shape. All of that yeah. just makes think, things for newcomers easier. Yeah. Or, although if you hit the, a personal best and then you might have one, two weeks where you don't go even close to that, it's yeah. also kind of a, a difficult, difficult part, but at least you have something in the back. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the U.S. team in this period one and how it went. So let's start with the women. On the women's side, you basically have two what you might call veterans. I mean, even Deidre's, Deidre and jo Joanne's more of a veteran than, than Deidre Irwin, but Deidre Irwin has had some success already. She had a great Olympics, best Olympic finish by an American biathlete ever. Um, and where, how do you feel that those two did and how are they? And then you've got basically three athletes, female athletes who really haven't done a lot of World Cups, if any, prior to this period one. How did you manage that situation and how did the how did everybody do with it on the women's side? It's kind of like having two different groups, the veterans and the rookies. Right, right. So um, it's two different approaches, two different approaches. Yeah, sometimes yeah. they really have to talk to the new ones in a way like mm -hmm hey, this is probably going to happen. And it's like <laughs> talking to like um, almost like to juniors because the experience yeah. on what to expect is okay. not, not there. So we really have right. to make sure um, that they actually get all the information they need. For sure. For, for us, very often it's kind of a routine um, and we expect, to have athletes there who actually know what what to expect and how to to deal with with uh, small things, but the the rookies mm -hmm. uh, really have to make sure and, and pay attention, and uh, that's mm -hmm. the difficult part about it that they actually get the information they need. Yeah. So it's about to get them uh, in a, in a situation where they need to be proactive also mm -hmm. with us and not just. Uh, rely on oh they will give us that information no they really need to be proactive the group is right. the group is actually big we have a lot of athletes so mm -hmm. uh, we try to work in that direction and i think mm -hmm. mostly it works out well whereas yeah. the veterans the veterans are like um, they know what to expect they know right. where the venues are they have hit the venues for many many seasons in a row they know where the small things are like a toilet they know everything yeah, yeah. about the course they know yeah, yeah, yeah. almost how the wind will affect them uh, they are so mm -hmm. experienced on certain venues so that for them mm -hmm. many things are just given they just know sure. what what to do which is a, a big advantage and mm -hmm. also the environment itself facing the european uh, athletes from the strong countries they know how to deal with that. They know how to yeah. deal in certain pressure situations. They know how to to play tactics on on uh, certain 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 tracks where actually is a possibility to pass, where not, where you shouldn't right. do it, where you right. actually have a chance. And that's yeah. that's just the the big difference between yeah. uh, rookies and and uh, veterans. And yeah. it's, it's the same on the on the on the men's side. Right. So, right. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, it looks like, you know, Maxime and, and, and Vasek, uh, Cervenka and Maxime Germain, they, they got kind of their first real extended or first period one experiences. And they seem to do, for their age and their experience, they seem to do pretty well. How did you feel about about their performances? And same with the women. I mean, the women, 
you know, Kelsey Dickinson has been doing this a long time, but she's got her first World Cup starts now. And it was, you know, it's probably uh, about where we, she expected to be uh, physically and, and as well as uh, it's Terry Garrity Motes and Chloe Levins. How, how did you feel as a coach about the new about the rookies? Did the rookies did the rookies perform better or worse than you expected? Uh, some performed quite well. I'm, I'm um, yeah. pretty happy with the performances from uh, Vasek Savenka and mm-hmm. Maxime Germain uh, and Chloe Levins. They all mm-hmm. all managed to be in the top 60 yeah. or, or have a, a sprint and uh, race in the pursuits. It was a big achievement, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, it was not really expected before we started actually the the season yeah. so we are pretty happy with that so that they actually yeah. realize oh i'm i'm capable to do this and yeah. maybe give also this uh, feeling to the others who are facing the first world cups like mm-hmm. uh, tara like a kelsey so mm-hmm. they are just there and close to them but uh, i think those three have shown that they can do top sixes, that they're close to two points, which Vasek already did. Yeah, it's great. Um, he just struggled li- lately with uh, probably he fighted something. Um, like a cold uh, or something? Cold, but which we didn't yeah. know. He didn't have any, any symptoms, but he just didn't feel like yeah. energetic. But those guys uh, have done a really, really good start. So personal, yeah. personal best for for all of them and we are happy yeah. so and Sean had, Sean had a, Sean's coming off an amazing like one of his best races the sprint in in La Grande Bonin. if you look at his ski time and his shooting the fact that he had a penalty and was still 11th in the sprint so t- talk a little bit about what that does I mean he had a pretty rough day the next day in the pursuit just physically but um, that often happens doesn't it like when you have a great race where you ski at a new level you, you don't always have it the next day do you uh, Sean has done a really good start. I think this yeah. season he had a um, couple top uh, top thirties uh, and this eleventh place here in in uh, yeah. in Le Grand Bourna was his personal best as yeah. in in history his best ten ten k best sprint result ever. Right. So he was very happy about it. Uh, so we were um, the day after uh, was not about his shape. It, okay. was, it was about actually the preparation of the track. So yeah. um, all guys who were on a certain brand yeah. just had a very rough time that day. Right. So um, all the other brands just had a better grip, and it was right. it was com- it was an ice rink basically. Those right, guys, right. those guys just didn't have a chance to to, to ski, and it was yeah. a mistake of of. Um, the preparation of the track basically it right, was just right. too icy and sometimes also very risky and dangerous for the athletes themselves in the yeah. downhills and stuff but yeah. uh, he definitely did a great race in the sprint and uh, i yeah, think yeah. That there's there's more to come definitely good. He is, he's in cool. a good he's in a good mood he has a couple of things to work on over christmas mm-hmm. and uh, very confident mm-hmm. and right now he's um, trying to lead the team he's also a leader he shows leadership between uh, among uh, men and uh, uh, women and I, I invited him actually after the sprint uh, to the women's meeting and say hey mm-hmm. what did you experience what was your you know wh- 
credit you make the time where you think mm-hmm. is are the crucial parts on the track and he was very yeah. happy to do this and just uh, filled the women in on how to do it so he's yeah. he's showing also leadership on the team and and, and we are very happy about this Great. Well, that's great. That, that, that seemed to be the bright point. Not that n- nobody else did well, but the Sean, Sean's race really seemed to be the bright point of the that's that Le Grand Bernard weekend of, of period one. Wouldn't you say is that is that kind of the high point for you? It's the high point. Yes. Uh, another yeah. high point is Vashek Vashek's points. Uh, yeah. Another high point is actually Jake Brown's result in the pursuit in Contiolati. which yes. also which also was his personal best, and he raced right. that that race actually. Being sick, um, mm-hmm. he didn't really recover from it. So, um, yeah. was it right or not to, to raise it? But in the end, right. he got a good result out of it. Um, after yeah. that, after that, he struggled a little bit, but it's his personal best too. But yeah. I'm pretty confident that also Jake will bounce back um, very good in January. Yeah. Hopefully, we are all in a better health situation than we have been now these weeks. Yeah, just a quick question about Paul Schomer. Paul had a knee problem. We don't, I'm not sure what it was. He's been sharing it on social media. And, you know, I have a, I have a history with Paul. He, I used to coach him. But uh, how, how, did, how did he perform considering he had basically to back off going into those, into those events? Paul is on the way up, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think he had a really hard time during November. He couldn't join the, the team camp in uh, Wukati. He didn't join for Contiolati just because of uh, his problem uh, uh, in his knee. And uh, we decided to bring him to Kochfilzen. He wanted to try and mm-hmm. actually did very, very good. I mean, he, mm-hmm. it, takes him, it took him a little bit to go into race shape, I would call it. And right. he managed to do the, pers- the pursuit and had a clean stage uh, race there four times yeah. clean which was his first time in a yeah. four stage race and he was very happy about it his shooting is coming along uh, very well he's shooting incredibly good and yeah. uh, this gives a lot of hope for January and February I hope he can yeah. now train without uh, pain without difficulties and just uh, get slowly into his race shape he had last season. Okay, great. Now we want to shift and just kind of talk about the World Cup in general. I think this is kind of, this is the fun part. I mean, it's not, not, not that it's not fun to talk about U.S. team only, but I like to just talk about, like, what's shaping up on the World Cup, you know? So the first thing that I want to talk about, and I think what, what's really interesting about having you on as a guest, is the reemergence of Lisa Vitozzi. Uh, she has had a very tough two years, particularly from prone shooting. Um, so let's start with her. Uh, very public troubles since last year it has been, you know, three, three years ago, she, she and Dorothy Avere, I think she, three years ago, she and Dorothy Avere were basically one and two in the world. And then she had, had trouble and you, and you know her because you coached her as a junior. So I want to ask you, um, She's got a new coach, Yoni Kakunen, who used to be the coach of you, with you on the U.S. biathlon team. Was there? Do you think there's something there between those two coaches, the coach and the athlete, or do you think uh, Lisa just worked out something in her head? What do you think? What do you What do you attribute to just standing from the sidelines and knowing Lisa? Why is she back? <laughs> uh, it's difficult to say why she's back yeah. or not. It's there's so many elements uh, who make uh, sure that you are. Um, 
actually successful it's not just depending on on one person or at yourself it's the whole environment the italian team had had a big change like a big change mm-hmm. um, they changed the high performance director they changed the head coach they changed uh, mm-hmm. a lot of they have a lot of young coaches or new coaches on the world cup they have Yone Kekongen on the on the world cup yeah. and basically there's a, a stuff they have stuff like there's seven coaches seven mm-hmm. coaches who trained uh, females and males and I think it's not just because of one person. I think it's a group right. uh, group work they did. And probably Lisa just feels a little more comfortable this season uh, mm-hmm. with a lot of new elements um, uh, which changed and uh, mixed up uh, probably a lot of things. And probably mm-hmm. she just has... is calmer and uh, yeah yeah i think that's probably the main reason they yeah. she just finds an environment where she can work normally and with less stress i would say than before yeah. um which i thought is one of the main things factors that she couldn't yeah. actually perform at her best in the past yeah well, it's it's good. I think that every I think that's it's a it's a feel good story. She's sitting third in the overall World Cup now after leading. So that's kind of one of the ones that, that's always on my on my radar. I, I like Lisa Vitozzi. I think she's I, I like the way she carries herself in public. I mean, she's got kind of a, a diva teammate who's a superstar on Instagram and Dorothy Avira, and she kind of just works on the background. So what do you, what do you th- see of Doro right now? I, I mean, w- the, the one thing that I thought is I think. I don't think I'm the only one who would have expected Doro to have retired by now. So, and she's still here. She's still got a world championships coming up and she's competing well. I mean, she, she's been in position to, to win races. She hasn't won any yet this year, but so what do you think? Where, where's Doro right now? And your from your perspective, Doro raced partly sick in, uh, Kontiolahti and Hochfilsen. She wasn't, uh, completely, completely healthy. Okay. Um, I think she is still very, very strong. I just, mm-hmm. I also think that the female, female level, uh, got a lot better the last three, four years. Uh, yes, although I agree. some, also some people, all, although some people might stop here and there in the female, but there's a lot of new, mm-hmm. new, young uh, athletes coming up who do really, mm-hmm. really well, and she manages actually still to be one of the best in the world. I mean, last season yeah. she finished, I think, top five in the overall still. Yeah, and won a medal at the Olympics, and I think she's still a, a contender for the podium in any race. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the overall. So, d- would you have expected Julia Simone to be leading after period one when the season started? Did you did you have that in your mind? Not did really. You, you, Not yeah, really. me neither. Not yeah. really. I I would have bet on uh, Oberg, one of the Oberg yes. at least. I would have yeah. bet on yeah. them. Or one of the Norwegians, but uh, mm. Roiseland and Ekhoff are not uh, on the start right now. So right. that put them out from the overall uh, World Cup right now. But I would have bet on uh, with all the with all the athletes on the start on uh, Elvira Oberg. Yeah, yeah, and and she she is sitting second, and it's not it's not it's a pretty big gap though. It's three hundred ninety five points to four seventy one. So Yulia Simone, I mean, I think we've all we've all been kind of waiting for this of Yulia Simone, and, and I think the fact that she hasn't done it the last couple of years, we've all just kind of forgot about her, knowing that she's capable of it, and here she is. She's she's actually, I mean, I wouldn't say she's dominating, but she's pretty she's pretty she looks pretty hard to beat right now, doesn't she? 
Yeah, she's she's just very 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 solid in the in the um, uh, uh, in the um, shooting in the shooting part. Yes. She's very yeah. very solid there, and mm. that is just what made Doro great in the last past years. She did yeah. never she never had like Doro or Julia Simon. They never have like the top ski time. Right, they are combining the sport, like the shooting and the skiing, right. the best way possible, with the best right. techniques in the right moment, and they right. succeed with with all of that. I mean, biathlon is right. not just about skiing fast and shooting right. You also have good techniques at the right moment and knowing when you actually can do that clip, which like brings you that. 10 second advantage on the last shooting of a four stage like a pursuit or a master and that's yeah. where she is actually very very good and she showed that in past actually but she mm-hmm. she now just does it more often in uh, more races so let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum because this sport has all kinds of ways of succeeding and let's talk about Anna Maria Lampic the crossover from for Slovenia from from uh, cross country to biathlon this season. I I think we've. I mean, it's been year three now since Stina Nielsen has tried to move over, and Stina Nielsen, by all accounts, was much more successful in cross country ski racing than than uh, than Lompich. Uh And and Stina Nielsen has been good at times, but he really hasn't really made a splash in biathlon. Lompich comes out her first sprint and misses uh, three. Was it four? She missed four total, I think. Or. And I'll have to go back and look, three. but she she finished she finished three missed three total yeah, yeah three total yeah, she, she yeah. managed to be uh, fifth um, and I mean this exactly this example should give right. a lot of fast and I manage here fast cross country skiers in uh, right. US on the male and the female side yeah. who wants to try this fantastic beautiful sport uh, <laughs> to to actually try it out and see right. if if they have a little bit of a talent in shooting. I think right. I think they would really love it. And Lampage shows yeah. it. She shows yeah. that uh, she didn't lose her ski speed at all. Right. She still She might have gotten faster actually. She she probably, seems fast, yeah. maybe faster. Yeah, maybe faster and and she will she just shoots a couple months now. I mean there's a lot yeah. of things <laughs> to do when you when you look at how she shoots but uh, Yeah. That's actually going to be an advantage for her pretty yeah. soon because I think she will get the shooting going. She has already a couple yeah. couple clean shootings in prone, so it's uh, yeah. it's going to be very interesting how yeah. she will uh, develop. And I must mention also Herman. Herman yeah. also came from cross-country skiing and she managed right. in one, two years to be, to be at the top level. And there was many, yeah. many examples. And those those ladies and guys also on the guys side yeah. they manage to keep this ski speed, but also manage to learn how to shoot and right. win, a lo- win a lot of races and be successful. Yeah, yeah. I, I was watching that that race very intently, and um, when Lompich cleaned and was leading, I, I was I was blown away. First of all. Then I watched her standing shooting. I, I got to be honest with you. I was surprised she hit too. Like her yeah. barrel was moving so much. And that tells me that she's got a pretty good natural trigger squeeze. Because if she got two with that barrel movement, she's, she's, she's got to figure it out. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. She probably, she probably has something there because yeah. the way she shoots right now is just the stability in standing is just not there. 
Right, and exactly. It's, it's position. There. And uh, probably yeah. she doesn't know how, also how to approach the shooting range, maybe sometimes too right. hard, maybe sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, that's that. this is all experience you, you gather over years and uh, with a lot of uh, intensity trainings and doing that throughout, throughout the throughout the year a training season yeah. well i hope i i really hope that we can get some um, some uh, really fast skiers on the men and on the and the women's side also in the u.s community who actually yeah. try to to you know give it a give it a try and um, yeah. i just encourage all all the people out there to to, to try it well, if you're watching Legrand Bornan, I don't think there's any any doubt that there's some there's some allure. To, there should be some allure to trying biathlon because the crowds there. I, I mean, I, I love cross country ski racing too, and I call that on TV, and I and I love the sport. But there's not a cross country ski race anywhere, not even in Oslo, that has a crowd like the biathlon races in Legrand Bornan. It was it was purely spectacular. I mean, if you ski through uh, the Legrand Bornan crowd also as a staff member uh they cheer every single meter you just you you (laughs) go from k1 to k3 and they just continue to cheer and to you know blow their whistles and cheer and and cheer usa they cheer for everybody and yeah it's basically they push you up the hill and athletes athletes like that and it's not just in the grand Bornal like this it's yeah. we will we we have that in Novi Mesto we have that in Germany in Oberhof and in uh, uh, Rupolding we have this in Italy in Antholz yeah. we have this yeah. in Hochfilzen we have this in Oslo it's not just one one world cup it's like no. six seven eight world cups like this and uh, yeah. that's the exciting it feels great. part of it's, it's, it's yeah, it feels if yeah. yeah, it feels great. Like you know, I haven't been to a World Cup in years, and I went to those two last year in Rupolding and Antols, and it just I rem- it, I forgot how electric those environments are, and, and it's it's a pla- it's a great place to work. I'm sure you love it. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about nations, and let's talk a little bit about the men too. I mean, it looked like. Started to look like the Johannes Tingnes Boos uh, show again, and, and it, it feels like it. But with that said, I mean, he, he did he did lose in Le Grand Bernard. Again, the skis might have been a factor, especially in the pursuit, and, and Vetlachosa Christensen probably took advantage of that one. But um, what do you think about Quentin Fionnier's start of the season? I talked to his coach, and um, he's, he's from Italy, uh, his shooting coach, and he said they struggle a little bit with their shape as of now mm-hmm. yeah. but honestly i think it's just not it's not bad i mean right. those, those right. guys are always up there and um right. probably they had their expectations are also really high because yeah. um Fiumaier, last season dominated basically right. Um, right. a lot of those races and this season um, the norwegians as of now are just it's difficult to break that wall for right, right, any right. any other nations like Germany, struggle yeah. um, yeah. Swedes who were like um, are very very strong to struggle to right. beat them. Um, French guys struggle to beat them, and yeah. um, you should also know that if you go down the roster on the IBU Cup, there's another four or five waiting. I mean, it's I know. Not, 
it's I've not seen it. it's it's not clear anymore that Taribo right. is a, a, a fixed a fixed member of that squad. Right. Which which right. Uh, yeah, there's just other others knocking on on the door. Yeah. And uh, Dale coming back, uh, who was on the IBU Cup and partly not even there, coming yeah. back to to win a World Cup now in in France. Yeah. That says it all. I mean, if oh, you yeah. don't, yeah. if you don't do the work every single day and believe in yourself and do the hard work, you have no chance on that team actually to stay <laughs> on. That's yeah. it's uh, it's very very. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fascinating what what happens there. They just have so high quality and um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's, I think there's a there's a phenomenon I want to ask you is your opinion on it because because I have this opinion that I think the Norwegians kind of screwed up their training going into the. I mean, they clearly won at the Olympics. They did great at the Olympics, but I. They were really flat, men and women, this time of year last year. And I think that was another reason. I think the French took advantage last year and got momentum with a Norwegian team who was preparing for the Olympics. And in the end, it, it delivered at the Olympics. But I think there were some worried Norwegians at this point 365 days ago because I think a, a lot of their teams were, were maybe kind of cooked. And, and I don't think that's the case this year. Do, do you, how do you feel about that assessment? I think... Um, I think... Um they try to peak, but to, to peak for one event is not always um, pretty safe, I would say. Right, right. It's it's very risky. Like you like you said right away, it's there's a lot of worried Norwegians, there's a lot of worried people and uh, right. I mean if it, if you have that team, Norwegian spectators just expect them to win every single weekend. Uh, if mm -hmm. they get second or third or even fourth, that's just already a debacle. It's just not right. a not a good race. Mm -hmm. um, I think they did probably a couple of things differently. They will try out things for the next couple mm -hmm. of years, and it um, just turns out to be good this season. And I think the yeah. focus is also to win the overall World Cup, for yeah. especially for Johannes Tinebue or. Or others, yeah. whereas French usually, if I if I have observed it well in past, they never really skip workups. Right. They just go to anything they could. What for cut yeah. did this over years, and yeah. he just raised everything he could and just tried to win every race he participated in. Yeah. I like I like that approach a lot because it's yeah. biathlon is just so difficult. You cannot really predict. Oh, I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna um, shave up. I'm gonna be a peak for the world championships. What if right. you, what if you miss one more than than usually? Right, then, right, right. And all your plan is just nothing. I mean, yeah, it's so close to be to be great, and so close to be like a, right. a, um, not a great race. Yeah. I mean, biathlon is different than cross country skiing because you can right. do the shooting can change it all. I mean, you can have, you can win an Olympic, Olympic gold medal on maybe not, you're not even close to your best ski race just because you clean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Final, final, final question. I just want to get your, per, your perception. I, we haven't talked about Germany. World championships are coming up in Oberhof and Germany's kind of back. I mean, they're not, 
they're not knocking locking horns for the wins, but you know, last year they were out of the top ten. You know, be, besides maybe Denise Herman, but Denise Herman's got a win. She's contending for the overall World Cup, and the men are doing way better. What's what's your take on Germany, and and can they hold that fitness going? I mean, it seemed like Germany was trying to do maybe what Nor- Norway did last year, and they were maybe suppressed, not very good shape in December to try to be ready for the Olympics. But like you said, I don't think that brought them a lot of confidence last year. I think it seems like they've maybe gone with a different direction and just said throw caution to the wind. Said let's get some su- success early on here. What do you think? Of, what do you think of the Germans? this this period one i think the germans uh are always always uh, dangerous they're like uh, yeah. nations with a lot of traditions uh, yeah and uh, i think also they had a couple changes in the last past mm-hmm. years a lot of big athletes like piper and lesser stopped for right. instance on the men's side have a couple of new ones coming in. In the last one, two years, started to shoot a little better and win his first World Cup, I think, last season in Ophilson, actually. Right. And um, they have a little bit of a, a change among among the athletes. There's some younger ones coming up, like Zobel mm-hmm. or Horn or Navratz and those mm-hmm. those uh, those names, and the same on the on the female side. Right. There's yeah. a couple of young ones coming up, and they're trying to do a change there. Of course, if uh, if you see a German team trying to do this change and call it struggle a little bit to yeah. hold on, you can imagine how difficult this is for a small nation like like we right. are. Right? Yeah, if, exactly. If, oh, yeah. Well, like we we had like six to seven athletes stopping last season and yeah. uh, main three three on the World Cup and four on the IBU Cup uh, between men and women. And it's yeah. not just that you have to fill the World Cup spots, you have also to fill the IBU Cup spots. And that's where we, right. that's where we are at right now, and we need to actually yeah. try to fill those, those uh, spots yeah. uh, with good quality, hopefully in three, four years. It takes a okay, while. Look, yeah, so just, uh, just your, your prediction, who's going to be the star of the World Championships, mm-hmm. men and women? I would say for the man, you want three names? Yeah, three names. Three big names on the men, three big names on the women. Three big names. Um, Johannes Dinebeu. Yep. I would put um, Fiomaye in there. Mm-hmm. And then it's either Lagreit, the Norwegian. Mm-hmm. Sturla or one of the Swedes. Yeah. Okay. And the women. Who are the three three big names for the women for the world championships? Who who do we want to watch there? Three big names. Yeah. Elvira Elberg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Depending, I don't know if um, Eckhoff or Roisland will be back. Not sure. Yeah. If one of those two will be back, it's one of those two who who is going to be there for yeah. sure. And then, um, yeah, let's put Julia Simone in there. Okay. And the biggest surprise of the World Championships. Who's going to be the biggest surprise? Who's going to surprise people there? Who would, who would you put there? I'd put Chavot. Oh, Chavot. For the females. Uh, for the females, yes. you say. Okay, for the females. For the men, I'll say, uh, I'll say Hartweg. Yeah. yeah. Hartweg is a, is a good one. Yeah. Hartweg is a good one. Seppala. 
Yeah. Good one. one. Can be a surprise. And for the females, I would say put Pitozzi there. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's it. Okay. Awesome. Armin. We're going to call it good for that. Really appreciate your perspective and your insights. And we'll do this again, but we'll, we'll, we'll have it focus more on your career. Anytime, Chad. I'm uh, yeah. really happy to talk to you, especially because we know each other quite well. And yeah. having this friendship also with your brother, Corey, yeah. just has been over 20, 20, 25, 20 years, probably. Over 20, 20 years, yeah. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And looking forward to the next talk with you. Like the top level of anything, World Cup racing in both skiing and biathlon are incredibly complicated and nuanced. The dynamics within the team are challenged by so many external factors that you kind of need a testing out of what you're trying to do. That's kind of what period one of the World Cup is all about, and it changes over the course of your career. But every year, it's the prelude. It gives us a perspective to form our expectations moving forward for the season. For FIS Cross Country Skiing, American fans still have a lot to tune in for, even if the tuning in isn't what it has been in recent years. So, find your VPN or pay your $8.99 a month and the racing still is what it has always been. It's relatively Pavlovian to cheer on when you see a low number next to an American flag, even if perhaps you're not getting the insights you're used to and hope for for this year. Because you're going to still be inspired if you tune in. Jesse Diggins just went second in the sprint and won the 20K freestyle going into New Year's break before the Tour de Ski. Kristen hit the point of Jesse's sprinting and distance prowess, which really is matched so far only by the yellow bib owner of Tyrrell Udnis Vang. And while Vang is an exciting new World Cup leader, bending all expectations this period one, she has yet to win a World Cup race, and certainly not likely to be as durable in the Tour de Ski format as she's been in period one so far. But I've been wrong before, so don't hold me to that. She might surprise. But I think we'll see a regrouping of the Swedes with Eva Anderson and Frida Carlson emerging, neither of whom have won a tour to ski yet and have got to be chomping at the bit for one, though Anderson was close last year in second place. The fact about the tour to ski is it needs to be nearly perfect for you and you need a little bit of luck to win it. But luck aside, period one tips his hat to Diggins as the big favorite come New Year's. On the men's side, Johannes Klavo is the defending champion even when Bolshinov was there last year. Bothered by a late season injury and then illness mid-December, Klavo, though still dominant, proved to be beatable, even in the skate sprint in Davos, which was surprising. What that bears on the Tour de Ski title probably isn't much though, but it's worth considering. Can current World Cup leader Paul Goldberg use the best fitness of his life to take down Klavo for his first Tour de Ski win? I know I think he could, and that's an exciting proposition which is why I like it. Doesn't mean it's likely to nor sensible, but I will add the caveat that I, it will require an imperfect week of racing by Clavo for Goldberg to upset him. And as the biathlon train moves into the new year, I simply have to marvel when the French cross-country skier Luca Chanova Instagrams from the women's mass start biathlon from Le Grand Bernard Sunday instead of Davos. The period one finale for biathlon in front of 20 plus thousand fans with their roars echoing off the granite mountain walls is a testament to all that is great and what biathlon has going for it right now. With Oberhof hosting the world championships in Germany at a time of year when that may lend itself to some better weather than its normal spot on the World Cup calendar in the first week of January, the German performances of period one 
have really got the Germans something to consider and be excited about going into Oberhof. And while Norway, Sweden, and France with, from both genders will likely continue to make that challenging for the host nation on top of the intense pressure of their fan base, period one does suggest Germany is up to the challenge, more than they have been in recent years, to make Oberhof something special for the Germans. But Le Grand Bornand exhibited both Johannes Tignes Boo's immense physical level over the rest of the field and that Norwegian depth is ready to fill any fissures he might display at any time. It also had tones of the men's cross-country World Cup in its thorough dominance over the rest of the world. Biathlon at least has the shooting to potentially mess that hegemony up. But someone has to force that. France and Sweden are the most equipped to do it. But apart from Martin Ponsoloma's stunning win in the opening 20K in Kontiolati, it's been all Norway and nearly all JT Boo at the top of the heap. With Stroholm Lagrid skiing faster than ever, Johannes Dahle at back on top form at the top of the podium, and as Armin points out, a host of young talent dominating the IBU Cup just ready to come to the World Cup and pounce. I think we can expect more of the same. Norway on top. But I expect the French will find the groove and challenge the Norsemen in the new year too, as hopefully will Sweden. And on the women's side, Julia Simone has the yellow bib, and unlike the men's field, she is chased by women from seven different nations in the overall World Cup score. And that's without Marta Olsbull-Royceland or Tyrell Ekhoff present. Their absence has seemed to open the door, too, for Ingrid landmark Tunnerville, their countrywoman, to step into contention regularly as a top Norwegian, which she's done. Add the Uber sisters and their teammates Lynn Persson and Anna Magnusson, then Lisa Vitozzi, Denise Hermann Vick, Lisa Teresa Hauser, and Marketa Davidova, and you have the makings of an awesome remainder of the biathlon season. I can't wait to share it all with you and to watch it all. That's special for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Chad Salmoa.